welcome back to The Legal Lens, everyone. Today, we are on the second part of our Crash Course series, and we are discussing mediation and arbitration. And I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Connie Healy of NUI Galway. And basically, we're just going to start off, what is mediation and what is arbitration? So mediation is a facilitative process, basically, where the parties agree themselves to enter into a a voluntary process where they sit down with an independent mediator that will help them come to a resolution that they themselves create. So the mediator kind of steps back and just facilitates the discussion and lets the parties themselves come to their own conclusion. So it's very important for the mediator to manage the process and make sure that each party gets a fair share of time to speak. Generally, what happens is it starts off with an opening statement where each party will have an uninterrupted period of a couple of minutes to tell their side of the story. So in some respects, this is the equivalent of what a lot of litigants hope for when they are going to court, this idea of having their day in court. A lot of times in a court situation, you don't necessarily always get to tell your story because the case may be settled or the judge might be compromised on time or whatever. Whereas with mediation, you're given that period of time to kind of tell your side of the story and get all of your grievance, I suppose, on the table in terms of what the issues that that you see are in, in dispute between yourself and the other party. And then the other party has a similar opportunity uninterrupted again to present their version of events. And then the mediator will try and elicit whether there's any common ground or any threads or anything that they agree on, and then help them to develop that into something that might reach a, a final agreement. So it's interest-based. So it takes away from this whole positional negotiation that you find in what might be termed ordinary lawyer negotiation that would happen in the context of a of litigation. And it's you get the parties as a mediator to focus on what are their interests, what is in the best interests of everybody in trying to resolve this dispute rather than there being a winner and a loser. You're trying to look at whether you can find a solution that kind of works for both parties and helps them to build a relationship. So oftentimes it was used more so at the, in the beginning in family law because uh, family law was seen as an area where uh, obviously people, you know, the, the less acrimony um that's involved in trying to resolve disputes, the better. And uh, there is there was an obligation or there is an obligation under the uh, Judicial Separation of Family Law Reform Act and also the Divorce Act for lawyers to refer family law litigants to mediation or to consider mediation, at least in, in the resolution of their disputes. And they had to, the lawyers had to file a a certificate, a declaration to the court to say that they had been advised of this prior to entering into litigation later on. So because nine times out of 10, if there are children involved or whatever, parties will need to maintain some sort of amicable relationship if they're trying to facilitate custody and access and various other aspects of the settlement later on. But equally so in a commercial sense, you know, obviously it's important for businesses to maintain relationships with suppliers with other companies that they're dealing with and therefore as well in in a context where you want to maintain a relationship mediation can be useful because it helps you to try and find a way to work something out so that you can continue to have a business relationship down the road rather than it being kind of a win-lose situation where you end up not contracting in some respects with this person again so 
how does that differ then from arbitration? Is arbitration just simply then kind of a similar aspect only at like a commercial level? Arbitration is a binding process. It's more like the court's process where you have an independent, the arbitrator hears both sides of the case like a judge would. Oftentimes it's, it's completely up to the arbitrator how an arbitration process works. They generally meet with the parties at the outset and they decide how it's going to be structured because, as you know, in a court's process, all of the structure in terms of when documentation has to be filed and the different steps, steps in litigation is set out under the court rules. Whereas in arbitration, the parties would meet with the arbitrator at the beginning and the arbitrator would set out exactly what's going to happen. So then both sides will make their submissions and the arbitrator makes a decision which is final and binding. And there's no issue of negotiation between the parties themselves. They submit their dispute to the arbitrator and the arbitrator makes a decision. So I suppose the perceived advantage of arbitration was that, you know, you can choose an arbitrator that's a specialist in the particular area. So say, for example, it's a dispute in relation to something to do with aviation or it's a particular engineering type dispute or it's a particular IT type dispute. You can pick a, an arbitrator that's experienced in that area and would be familiar with your industry and arbitrate the dispute for you and that you can decide that you're going to hold the arbitration, you know, next Monday at four o'clock or whatever. It's very specific compared to waiting in line for a court date. And the issue with it, I suppose, is that the decision of the arbitrator is final and binding. So you need to be sure that you know who you're getting as your arbitrator. You need to be happy with the arbitrator. And it has been commented by various judges, particularly in the English courts of appeal, that when parties agree to arbitration, they buy the right to get the wrong answer because it's up to you as to who you choose as your arbitrator. And if it, if they do give you what is perceived to be the wrong answer, you're pretty much stuck with it because there's very little grounds for appeal. The grounds for appeal are quite limited, particularly in this jurisdiction. We have an Arbitration Act 2010, which repealed the previous arbitration legislation in Ireland and incorporated the Uncertain Model Law into Ireland, which means that the grounds for appeal of an arbitrator's decision in Ireland are actually quite limited. So you need to be sure, I suppose, of the expertise of the person that you're dealing with. Often barristers, senior counsel, solicitors will act as arbitrators in, in decisions. And I suppose that helps in the sense that they have the legal background, but it's not necessarily a requirement that an arbitrator would be a lawyer. Uh, it could be an engineer, it could be somebody that's specialist in a particular area. Do you think a lot of those limitations come from the sense that, as far as I'm aware, especially in regards to, I suppose, mergers and acquisitions, there is usually an obligation for arbitration if there, if issues do arise, as opposed to going straight into litigation. And as part of that, they usually agree beforehand, like how they will choose an arbitrator. So yeah. I suppose if those things are actually agreed beforehand, is that not good grounding and good reasoning for limiting their right to appeal an arbitration result or ruling? Yeah, so basically most a lot of contracts that you enter into will have an arbitration clause in it and, the, and that will set out, as you said, some of those terms and conditions in relation to how, if a dispute arises, how it's going to be resolved. And generally, I suppose the thinking behind arbitration was that it was kind of referred to in historical terms as kind of the law of the shop in the sense that it was generally used by commercial entities that would be in some respects of equal bargaining power, but where difficult 
difficulties can arise often is in situations where you have parties that might not be considered of equal bargaining power and might find themselves bound by a an arbitration clause. So, for example, I suppose a lot of people, when they purchase a new car and they get their contract from the Society of Irish, the Irish Motor Industry, there's an arbitration clause on that that says that if there's a dispute in relation to anything to do with this new vehicle that is to go to arbitration rather than go to the courts. So it's just that sometimes I suppose it's meant to be a contract that's negotiated by both parties and both parties are supposed to be, uh, you know, to have autonomy in terms of the, the actual structuring of the contract. But in some instances, there might be a, an imbalance of power, I think, in the way that arbitrations are dealt with in that respect. But generally, if parties are happy, like you said, to and they, they have set out a process there where they know who they're going to appoint and they know how it's it's going to proceed, then effectively they, they take that decision of the arbitrator, whether it suits them or not. At the end of the day, they agree to that. And that's the whole idea of it. And in some respects, it's as, as I said earlier, they buy the right to get that answer, whatever that answer is going to be. And the idea, I suppose, with arbitration is that you're paying for the arbitrator. So unlike in a court process where the, the judge is, is uh, part of the administration of justice and is provided by the state effectively in arbitration, you're paying the costs of an arbitrator. And I suppose one of the arguments for arbitration over the years has been that it's less expensive than going to court because an arbitrator, if it, if they're familiar with the area, will kind of cut to the chase and, you know, know what are the key issues that need to be dealt with rather than maybe hearing quite a lot of evidence as would happen in a court case and that from a paying your legal representative point of view it might be cheaper but it doesn't always actually work out that way in the sense that you know you're paying an arbitrator by the day as well so sometimes arbitration can end up being equally as expensive depending on how long it takes so there's advantages and disadvantages I suppose to both. Yeah so if I bring it back to mediation for for just a moment so because we just mentioned that arbitration is binding whereas the arbitrator can make a decision but the mediator kind of just facilitates the agreement if that's it. Does that mean, would a judge then, if those, if a mediation agreement was then just therefore rejected, conversations collapse, would a judge actually rely on kind of what happened in mediation for a ruling for a decision or just disregard it completely and start from scratch? No, part of the understanding and entering into mediation, and it's actually provided for in the Mediation Act 2017, that as part of your agreement to mediate, it's agreed between the parties that everything happens, that everything that happens within the mediation is private and confidential and cannot be referred to later on in the event that the case ends up before the court. Traditionally, family law mediation wasn't binding because, as you know, there's a constitutional obligation on the courts to make sure the proper provision has been made in family law cases. But in other cases, the court, the Mediation Act provides that the parties can decide themselves whether they're going to consider to consider the agreement reached a binding contract or not. And I suppose the issue sometimes with mediation is this whole idea of enforceability and, and the fact that sometimes parties can agree to stuff in mediation. And then when it comes to actually writing up the final agreement, they they won't proceed with it and the mediator cannot force them to do it because it's, like I said, the mediator is just there to facilitate the discussions. So sometimes it can end up uh, with difficulties in that respect. With arbitration, you have the New York Convention, which means that an arbitration, an arbitrator's decision, which is made with, say, in Ireland, can be enforced in uh, 159 other jurisdictions. And with mediation now, we also have the Singapore Mediation Convention. It was developed and, and has been signed by a number of 
parties last August. So once that is operational, that will kind of give similar effect to mediated agreements that are enforceable internationally in the jurisdictions that sign up to the convention. And just how you can make arbitration a contractual obligation, can you do the same for mediation? Can you actually make it a contractual obligation, let's say in the sense of, you know, partnerships, in the sense of, I suppose, you know, the business world, if there was issues, can you force that to go to mediation first before any litigation? Or is there always the option to reject it? Um, Well, as I said, the way the process is structured in Ireland under the 2017 Act, it confirms in in that uh, Act that mediation is a voluntary process. But if it's a part of your contract and there's a term in your contract that parties have agreed that the dispute would be referred initially to mediation, then generally you would have to proceed with with the mediation. Obviously, you'd have to attend a session of mediation. doesn't mean you'd have to reach an agreement in it, but you would have to at least attend one session of mediation. And I suppose these are some of the arguments that come up in relation to whether it's a good idea to make mediation compulsory or not. Some people have the view that if you kind of compel people, even in family law situations, to attend at least one session of mediation, that it can maybe at that session they will realize the benefits of it and maybe engage and then others will just say this idea of compelling people to engage in a process like that where they have no intentions of engaging with it in the first place is just kind of a tick the box exercise that they have to kind of comply with before they actually end up before the courts process. So there's arguments for and against. But generally, if there's a provision in a contract that says that the parties have agreed that the dispute would be referred to mediation, then generally, like I said, they would they would proceed along those terms. And some contracts might have graduated dispute resolution terms in the sense that they go to mediation first and then to conciliation and then on to arbitration or to the court or whatever. So that you know, there's a, a step-by-step process there. Mediation would generally be the first step. Yeah, I suppose the other value to it would be is um, with the exception of family laws, the court's process is quite public, whereas mediation can be kept private. Then as well, you know, I think if people were more willing to go into mediation and actually open-minded with the intention of reaching an agreement, it probably would have the benefit effect of actually taking strain off the court system. I mean, I think, you know, as, as of now, you know, you can wait years for a court date in certain circumstances. Yeah, there's a huge amount of um, academic commentary on the whole process of mediation, the context of this, obviously you could say that the judges kind of want to use to get these kind of troublesome cases into mediation so that they can get on with the more meatier law, you know, legal argument that they prefer in in other type cases. Uh, On the one hand, you can see that it's some people will argue in that context that it's somewhat secondary justice because it's a private forum and it doesn't have the public oversight that you would have in a court process. The other side of that, like you said, is that it's it's hugely useful for people that don't want their dispute to be kind of all over the media. You know, you can refer, particularly in commercial disputes, you have a dispute with your shareholders or your dispute with another company. You don't necessarily want that all over the media and uh, the confidentiality of the mediation process is hugely important in that context. And a lot of times, I suppose, maybe lawyers even themselves didn't really fully appreciate the benefits of mediation and might have been reluctant to refer clients to mediation because of, I suppose, if you're 
been mercenary about it, the um, cost implications in the sense that if a client is to settle their case through mediation, it may mean at the end of the day, less fees for the lawyers. But under the new 2017 Act, that can no longer happen in that there's an obligation on lawyers there to actually discuss the prospect of resolving a dispute through mediation with clients before they would engage in the court's process. So I suppose the legal profession in general are now obliged to make to take mediation more seriously since the Mediation Act came into force on the 1st of January 2018 than they would have in the past. In the past, it might have been dismissed a little bit, whereas now they understand the importance of at least trying to engage. And like you said, sometimes it's only when people get into the mediation process and realise how effective it can be. And I suppose just giving you another perspective on your dispute and the mediator will help you reality test proposals that you make or will help you just look at it from the perspective of the other party as well and just see, is what you're claiming realistic or is there a way that you can try and resolve this? that's in the best interests of both of the parties. So just a summary, kind of the main distinction between the two is a mediator is essentially a facilitator to reach an agreement and an arbitrator is... I suppose, a decision maker. Yeah, exactly. The, the the mediator just facilitates the discussion, is independent, neutral, completely, cannot have any stake in the dispute if there's any element of the mediator being biased in any way. Obviously, you'd have a, a concern. The mediator has to remain completely neutral and the mediator's role is to manage the process and make sure, like I said earlier, that both parties get an adequate amount of time to get their side of the story across and to negotiate. Whereas the arbitrator is... Is like a judge effectively the arbitrator makes the decision the parties choose the arbitrator they submit their dispute to the arbitrator and the arbitrator makes a decision and they're more or less bound by that decision there's very limited as I said grounds for appeal so if we focus then on the skills that I suppose that would be required to be a good mediator I suppose this would be the good one to focus on because I know arbitration would rely I suppose on the arbitrator having a very good focus and understanding of the area in question but I suppose mediation and both arbitration is founded very much in dispute resolution but what specific skills would you actually need to be a good mediator I suppose the important skill, one of the most important skills in being a good mediator is the ability to listen effectively to what the parties are saying. I think this is a skill that we have a tendency to lose once we go into practice as lawyers because as clients are giving you instructions in any particular case, I think we're so conditioned and trained that we automatically almost start thinking to ourselves as to how this case is going to actually work out. Whereas I suppose the role of the mediator is that they really listen to what the parties are saying. They try and figure out what exactly is going on behind the dispute is there something else that's not being said or is there some other concern that's there that they need to try and do elicit and then to help the parties um to have a certain element of persuasion, I suppose, and, and just to help the parties consider alternatives and to be able to just ask them, well, you know, is this proposal realistic or how do you think this will work out? So the idea of mediation, obviously, is that the agreement that's reached has to be workable as well. It can't be just something that looks great on paper, but doesn't actually work in practice. So the, the mediator has to have that sense of the reality of what the outcome is going to be like and how is that actually going to work. So like I said, managing the process is really important, making sure that you're fair, making sure that you listen, making sure that you're able to explore the issues try and use aids like we'll say a notice board or something where you you mark up 
suggestions that the parties make and help them try to brainstorm and form an agreement where some some people will be quite visual in terms of how they rationalize things and other people might be more wordy. So just to help them kind of see a picture maybe of, of what the settlement looks like in some respects and, and get them to look at it from an objective point of view. So it's it's just, I suppose, just, just getting them to, to reconsider and, and look at what ultimately do they want out of it in terms of their relationship into the future? So considering that we are going to be running a mediation competition, I mean, what, what do you look for then in a mediator as a part as from a judging point of view? Yeah, we ran a mediation competition last year and I suppose the main things that the judges were looking for was the ability to, like I said, to listen, to be to be able to engage with the parties, to be able to kind of empathize with them, to to see their different perspectives and to pick up on what they're saying and try and find some sort of common ground between them. And then to help them, you know, to make proposals as in, well, what if this type of scenario? What if that type of scenario? How might this work? How might that work? Just to try and, and get them them to to think about to what extent they have listened just to help them effectively I suppose reach that solution it's it's funny when you watch it some people just have a natural ability to listen and to help people kind of reach their own solution and then other people come in in a very kind of all guns blazing I'll tell you how you should sort this out type of way and you just know that that person is not going to but it would be counterintuitive wouldn't it if you come in kind of dominating the room where it's kind of meant to facilitate not dominate well it would be but you'd be amazed at the number of people that still do from even having been on mediator training myself it's particularly I suppose if you've been in practice as a lawyer for a while it's quite difficult to step yourself out of that advising mindset that we have and to take a step back and to let the clients reach their own agreement and that can be they, they talk a lot about the paradigm shift that's involved for lawyers being involved in alternative dispute resolution because it really is that shift in thinking where you have to hand the control of the dispute over to the parties in some respects and you're there to try and facilitate that rather than we are so conditioned maybe as lawyers of saying well I advise you to do this or you should do that or whatever and and taking control whereas you have to seek control in some respects and be able to be comfortable with the dispute be comfortable with the conflict and just help them try and find some sort of common ground so yeah so that's I suppose the the sign of a, a good mediator in that sense. I guess then it's probably fair to say that in preparation for a mediation, not just a competition, but in general, that one of the greatest skills you could have is when, you know, looking at what this mediation is going to be about is the ability to anticipate the issues that people are going to be facing from either side and then being able to kind of come up with solutions that might be beneficial and being able to kind of interject them into the mediation process themselves. A little bit, but not so much. I mean, I think generally a good mediator or any of the tra trainers in the, the, the people that train mediators will tell you that in some respects, you really have to let them find their own way in some respects. If you go in there with kind of set proposals in your head as to how this mediation is going to work out, then like I said, that's kind of the lawyer approach. That's kind of, well, I think the best thing for these parties to do is X, Y, or Z. So I'm going to direct them in that way. And then that means you as mediator, you're taking kind of control. Whereas a good mediator is somebody that's able to be present with that kind of disorganization of their thoughts when they come in and they're not really sure where they're going but is able to kind of pull it together as 
they're discussing it and not, you know, make suggestions, but it, it's their agreement. So that's the really important thing for them to remember, even if it's an agreement that you don't think might be the best agreement. If it's something that they're happy with, there's always issues that you might necessarily know about going on in the background. So as a mediator, generally you will have the two parties together in the room, but then sometimes you can have what's called a private caucus and you'll speak to uh, one of the parties on their own. And in those private caucuses, the party might say to you, I really want to get out of this dispute because X, Y or Z is relevant for me. And these are things that you will not have been aware of before you start the mediation. And whatever they tell you in those caucuses is confidential and you cannot share that at all in the general mediation unless you have their permission to do so. If you say if you say to one party, well, I think it would be really useful if the other party knew that this is a concern for you, would you be happy for me to share that information with them or to put it to them in such a way that would help them understand kind of your perspective? If that party says, okay, then the mediator can do that. You cannot do that, obviously, without their consent. But there's always other factors in the background that not everybody is going to be aware of. So because I settle a particular way, it might be a good settlement for me because I have other issues, you know, that I don't really want to get into but are relevant from from my perspective. So you cannot second guess what's a good agreement. You have to let them come to their own agreement. And if you go in there with too structured of an idea as to, you know, how it's going to work out or how you're going to manage it, then you're kind of taking the lawyer as opposed to the mediator role, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so it's basically your interpersonal skills are really what's most vital, I suppose, over legal prowess. And in that sense... Do you have to be a lawyer to be a mediator? No, you don't have to be a lawyer to be a mediator. And in fact, most mediators would say that you'd probably be better off not being a lawyer, even though I suppose those of us that have practiced feel that there's kind of added comfort in some respects of a lawyer having a legal background because at least they have an idea as to if this dispute was to go to court, how it would actually kind of work out before a judge and they can maybe give the parties an insight into that. But you don't have to be a lawyer to be a mediator. You really just, like you said, have to have those interpersonal skills, the ability to listen, the ability to try and uh, be able to kind of bring people together and to help them to see each other's perspective and to try and kind of reach some sort of common ground. So is mediation, is this, how would you go about actually, I suppose, engaging a mediator? Is it a full-time job? Is there full-time mediators or is it just, you know, people might have a mediation division within other practices? Well, under the 2017 Act, basically as, it's, as it stands at the moment, there's quite a lot of organisations that are running training for mediators. So there's the Mediators Institute of Ireland, there's Friary Law, there's the Irish Commercial, Commercial Mediators Association, and then CEDAR do trainings here, the Centre for Effective Dispute Resolution based in London. They do trainings here as well. Their training is really, really good. It's generic mediation training. It's not specific to, we'll say, commercial law or family law or anything, but it's really thorough and really, I suppose, recognised worldwide. So you basically do a, a mediation course. And as it stands at the moment, there's no other requirement. The Under the 2017 Act, there was to be a mediation council set up, which would kind of be a body that would monitor these types of things and bring it all kind of under the umbrella of one regulatory authority, which is really what was needed and, and wasn't specifically set out for in the Act, so that 
you know, if you are a client going to mediation, that you are sure that your mediator was on a, a certain level in terms of experience and qualifications. There is a provision under the 2017 Act now that says that you can ask the mediator to provide you with a copy of their qualifications and their experience before you engage in the process. And I suppose most people would do that anyway. But there can be a huge discrepancy in the experience that some mediators have. Some people will, you know, do a two or three day course and set themselves up and consider themselves a mediator and then others might have you know far more experience far more training continuing professional development and so it, it varies and I suppose the hopes was under the 2017 Act that they would address that issue but they haven't really addressed it effectively. Yeah that makes a lot of sense I suppose maybe in that and you know I know I personally know some people who've actually started like you know with some of the social sciences and then gone on to do an LLB which seems like would be quite a beneficial background into becoming a mediator to have that kind of social care foundation on top of an actual kind of legal understanding. Well, like I said, you don't have to be a lawyer at all. I think it helps if you can say, well, you know, in a court situation, this is how this might work out. You, you can give them that perspective, you know, if, if they wish to have it in a mediation, if you come from a legal background. But generally, there's no requirement that you're a lawyer. There's no specific requirements under the 2017 Act as to what qualifications a mediator requires. It was, I suppose it was hoped that they would set out specific requirements in the Act or just sort of make it more transparent because some of the criticisms of alternative dispute resolution processes is that you don't have that transparency that you would have in a courts process where justice is administered in public and that in some respects they're private forums and how do you know if everybody's autonomy is respected and everybody's treated fairly and how do you know the standard of the mediator or whatever and so if there was one regulation body in Ireland that carried out that work it would make it more credible I suppose for members of the public um, and they would know you know where everybody stood in in terms of the qualifications of the mediation that they're dealing with. That sounds like a uniform approach, I suppose, to the yeah, area. Yeah, we, we need something because the problem here is that if you're, if you, you know, if you're accredited by one mediation institute and you want to be involved in some project, they might require that you have to be accredited by a different mediation institute. And oftentimes it's really just a matter of, you know, it, it, it can be just a matter of ticking a, a box and having to do, do it again or take a different version of the same thing. Whereas if there was a recognizable standard across the board that, you know, if you have this an accreditation from any of these three or four bodies that are recognized, then you're kind of ready to go, then it would make it more a lot more transparent, a lot easier. Because like I said, you'll always have a, you know, a certain amount of people that will do a two-day course and decide to set themselves up as mediators. And like I said, you know, they might necessarily be the type of people that are great at having those interpersonal skills that are needed in terms of facilitating dispute resolution. So would it then nearly be the opposite then for arbitration in the sense that do you need a legal background for that? Is it more beneficial or how does the process differ then to becoming an arbitrator? You don't necessarily need a legal background for arbitration again. Generally, the Chartered Institute for Arbitrators in Ireland, there's one body effectively that kind of deals with the issue of arbitration that 
I suppose makes it more straightforward. So if you have qualifications charged institute for arbitrators, then you can work as an arbitrator. You don't necessarily, like I said, have to have a legal background. Sometimes you might find that if there's a, an, an engineering dispute, it might be an engineer. But a lot of a lot of arbitrators would have some legal training and uh, would often be um, solicitors or barristers. You find a lot of senior counsel that act as arbitrators in disputes. That's fantastic. And I mean, all of that information was absolutely so valuable. So just before we finish up, is there any final thoughts you'd like to add? No, I mean, I think it's really important for law students to be aware of all the different processes that are available. I think gone are the days when a client comes in and you automatically send them down the courts process that you really need to be aware of all the different options that are there so that you can advise them accordingly and make sure that they find the process that's most suitable to their particular type of dispute. So it's a lot more nuanced, I suppose, than it would have been in the past. You have the obligation now as a lawyer under the 2017 Act to talk to clients about mediation and there can be cost implications if that's not complied with. So it's really important as a law student that you familiarise yourself with the whole range of processes. By doing a mediation training, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to ever practice as a mediator, but you will gain hugely uh, valuable skills in terms of that will help you to negotiate, help you to develop those listening skills that I mentioned to to earlier that will really help your legal practice overall so it's it's really good to to avail of training in as many of these processes as you can in terms of broadening your kind of toolkit of dispute resolution. Dr Healy thank you so much for actually taking the time to take us through all of this because I know it's an area that I literally knew nothing about apart from that I think it was done a lot in family law so it was actually such such a great personal insight into the actual areas and the skills that you can like that are delivered through it. So I just want to thank you so much again for taking the time to come on and join us on the show and stay tuned for the next one. <laughs> no problem. Okay, thank you very much, Matthew, and well done on the podcast series. You're very welcome. Thank you so much.